having a crappy week. Well, hang in there, because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Bahamut, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Jacob Redmond. Jacob, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Zach. Uh, my goal on this podcast is to not have a terrible take like I did last week. Uh, I said that I could eat my weight in cotton candy, but as I calculated, that would be about the size of a hot tub worth of cotton candy. I do not think I could get through it all. Yeah, I, it's funny because for those of you who don't know, we actually record a video for this podcast. And as soon as Jacob said that, I saw his like immediate regret <laughs> in his face and I saw it like wash over him. And I was like, it's all good. No big deal. Like we make mistakes. I've said numerous <laughs> like dumb takes on this show to the point where yeah. I, I just like <laughs> gloss over it and move on to the next thing. So I don't think it was the worst take ever. Well, this one's been haunting me. So my goal, you know, it'd be great if we have a good Avatar podcast. My goal is just to not say anything that's that blatantly wrong. Uh, that's my purpose. Yeah, Zach, you're totally right. Last week, I was uh, pretty pretty disappointed myself after a terrible take like yeah, that. Yeah, you were like beating yourself okay. up, and I'm like, it's all good. It's all good. Don't worry about it. I, I just, I felt like it's like uh, something you learn in like, you know, fourth grade. It's like, yeah, a pound of bricks is weighs the same as a pound of feathers. And like, I well, just forgot that. No, but to be honest, though, like millions of people make that mistake. People like when you, because the pound of feathers, pound of lead thing is like people always assume that the pound of feathers is lighter, even though they're both a pound. So you're not the first person to make a mistake on those lines and you definitely won't be the last yeah that's true well it's all right we can recover from that you know i've had nightmares just like ang uh every night about eating a pound uh or not a pound a hot tub worth of cotton candy but i'll i'll get over it at some point yeah so in this episode they have the storm we always talk about the weather before our podcast so before <laughs> we true. get into the recap so it works out now we get some actual weather to talk about on the show but before we get yeah. into this this is an interesting episode format wise because a lot of this is just pretty much backstory there's not that much action in this episode until the final scene really so as i felt like this was a stark contrast from almost every other episode we've podcasted about what did you think yeah, I think this episode does really interesting things with writing and storytelling. Uh, it doesn't have as many gags or jokes or anything like that. But what it lacks in those like little silly moments or cool fights, it really makes up for with the writing. I think this episode's interesting. We see Aang and Zuko both feeling overwhelmed by the amount of responsibility they have. We see Aang try to run away from it and we see Zuko get angry. And then we kind of get the backstory on why that is. And I think it really, uh, we come out the other side of this episode understanding a lot more about the characters than we did last week. Yeah, none of this felt like filler. All this felt very necessary. And one thing that I took from this episode is that I always kind of forget. Aang is 12 years old. And Zuko is 14 years old. And we'll get into this in more detail in the recap. But both of these two just have an inhuman amount of pressure on them, hoisted on their shoulders from such a young age. So I came away from this yeah. episode having just just an awe at like all the pressure they have on their shoulders, Pierre. Yeah, I know. Like, uh, you know, I deal with like, you know, some silly homework assignments in high school or middle school and I was freaking out. Here they are with the weight of the world on them and they're, uh, you know, rising to the challenge. Pretty impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Completely agree. Is there anything else you wanted to get into before the recap? But last episode was very good. I thought Amon was a yeah. great guest. 
that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really fun to have him on. On uh, you know, great podcaster. It was really a great time to uh, podcast with him last week, and I thought it was fun to have an expert tell us, uh, you know, what foursome uh, the Glee would go into. I think that he did a good job there, and it was it was really fun. So yeah, thanks to Amon for coming on that episode last week. Yeah, and I really liked how he was able to go from like the comedy and our goofy like takes to yeah. the serious takes, and he was able to really do a good job bouncing between those. So yeah, thanks a lot to Amon. Check out his podcast, The Choir Room, if you want to hear more Glee takes. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they actually had Chappelle on. So uh, you know, both of our guests that have come on this podcast teamed up to go back through the Halloween episode of uh, the Glee, and yeah, it was. Uh, it was cool to see both guests that we've had were on the podcast. Maybe we need Matt Ligorion so we can get all three. Yeah, if he watches Avatar, I'm down. I'm always oh, I'd, excited I'd totally to have down. more guests on. For sure. Anyway, yeah, I think we can get right into this episode. Maybe, Zach, uh, since we do love talking about the weather so much, is the weather, uh, how is it in Vancouver? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we love it. We just kind of just do it anyways. Um, I love it. I love talking about <laughs> no, it. So I don't know what you're like talking a about. Very brief update. It's cold. Like it kind of went from winter to, or like from summer to winter, I say, because this was a pretty warm fall for us. But now mm-hmm. it's sunny, but it's like five degrees Celsius. So it's not yeah. very hot here. What about yourself? How's your guys' weather? Yeah. So it looks really pretty outside. You know, it's really sunny, bright blue skies, no clouds. But then, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cold. I don't know the Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion, yeah, but it's neither. like, uh, okay, well, it's like 37 Fahrenheit here. Th- those sound about the same. I would not be surprised if those were like close to the same temperature. I'm kind of curious. I'm going to Google it very quickly. Uh, yes, yours right. is 2.7 degrees Celsius. So, Ooh, chilly. A little right, colder. Well, a little colder, but about the same. Honestly, both of us have better weather than uh, than our team avatar is about to get oh, in a minute true, with this terrible true. storm. This, this storm was horrible. Like, we're going to get into it, but what a horrible storm. I was so shocked that Sokka and this old man, they're like, yeah, it's fine. And then you see, like, this huge storm on the horizon. Like, it's one yeah. of the worst storms I've ever seen in any, like, piece of media, to be honest. But Yeah, I mean, this, uh, you know, this old man, if he's going fishing by himself, is going out uh yeah, that's the last time he's going out. He's going to die in that storm. Yeah. So it is really, really lucky that Sokka joins and Team Avatar is able to save him because that storm is just too much. Uh, I'm not sure that you could hope to survive that if you're in like a little rinky-dink ship like that guy was. Yeah, he, he legit would have died. But I guess I shouldn't yeah. skip too far ahead. So we'll start. The episode opens and you see Aang's having a dream. And they they always have like this very like, I don't know how to describe it, but this filter with this like lighter hue and stuff. It's you common in flashbacks as well, but yeah. they have it in this dream. And so Aang's dreaming. He's flying on Appa. Sokka's flying on Aang's glider to his left. And then Katara's flying on a giant version of Momo here. <laughs> and I thought this was yep. one of like the weirdest like images. I don't know if this should be our picture. Just the sight of Katara riding on Momo. I don't know if that should be our picture for the podcast because it was such a weird like thing to see. Yeah, it definitely is a, a weird sight. I do like the cream colored filter that they have to let you know it's a dream. I think it's like really pretty to to look at. But yeah, this this sequence that Aang um, has just makes no sense. You know, he has Sokka gliding, Katara's flying on a giant Momo. And I kind of like how they do this dream because it has the same sort of dream logic that I have sometimes where like, you know, things are loosely connected, but nothing really makes sense. So the next thing we see is Monkey Atso hovering above 
saying like, we need you. And then he like evaporates into dust and there's a big storm. And like this kind of hectic energy is exactly what I feel like uh, happens in my worst nightmares. Have you ever had a dream like this where it starts off as like a really serene dream and then turns into just a horrible nightmare? Because when I was younger, I used to have a lot of dreams like this where it would start out well and then I have like a terrible nightmare by the end of it. Yeah, I was actually about to ask if you had any recurring nightmares like this. I used to have one where I was in school, um, like this was in like third and fourth grade. I would always be in school. It would start off really fun. Then I would go to recess and uh, I would decide like to sneak away at recess. And I always thought like, oh, it's so fun, you know, like I'm sneaking away. But then I would like go on the run and like none of my family would like help me out. And it was so stressful. It was like a recurring nightmare I'd have. It was absolutely terrible, but it started off like every normal day at school. So I totally uh, know what Aang's going through right now. Yeah, I I had a recurring nightmare. It's the most embarrassing story I'll ever tell on this podcast, to be honest. But why not? (laughs) So when I was younger, I had a bad fear of dogs. That's what I just did. I was scared of dogs, especially because when I think I was in the first grade, a German shepherd like chased me. It wanted to play. It wasn't like chasing me to attack me, but I didn't know that. So I hid in a backyard and it ran past me. And for a long time, I had a fear of dogs. And I'd always have this recurring nightmare about this one dog in particular. It was this old show. must have been a Canadian show. So, the dog's name was Wishbone. And if you look up a picture of Wishbone, it's the least intimidating dog ever. But in my dreams, Wishbone was like a sadistic antagonist. And he'd always like kill me by the end of my dreams. And I'd wake up like screaming like, every time. <laughs> I'd wake up my like family. It was a bad like, I This went on for like two years of my childhood pretty much. And then I just stopped yeah. having nightmares. No offense, Zach. I have to say, this wishbone dog does not look very intimidating. Yeah, no, it's it's not intimidating as at all. I don't know. When I was younger, I was just like hor- like pretty much all dogs, big or small. I was scared of. And I remember the weirdest part of the dream is like his sidekick or henchman was that lion that roared at the beginning of movies. I don't know if you know the one. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was like his sidekick. It was a lot more intimidating. Like you'd think I'd yeah. be more scared of the lion, but yeah, yeah. Wishbone is just some Jack Russell terrier. And meanwhile, uh, you're like not freaking out about the gigantic lion at the beginning of movies. Yeah, in my, in my dreams, he was just his personality. And we'll go back to Avatar because we've gone pretty far off topic. But in my dreams, it wasn't just like his, per- it was like more his personality almost. He was just straight evil. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, like a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah. Except he was like going in for the kill, I guess, because I'd always die wow. at the end of my dreams. Wow. Well, there you go. Those are some uh, terrifying <laughs> nightmares we have. Zach is scared of a harmless dog and I'm scared of truancy. So uh, I'm not sure which one is uh, less of a fear of what we should actually be scared of in real life. I'd be interested if other people have recurring nightmares that are uh, a little more intimidating this one. I feel like I feel like ours are pretty tame, all things considered. Yeah, very, very tame, honestly. Um, So, we'll continue. And with Aang, it's like, he's having this nightmare because he's struggling with the guilt of leaving the airbenders. And we'll get into this later in the episode as well. But it must be tough for Aang. Like, he has nobody really to... He doesn't want to talk about this with Katara Saki. He has nobody really to confide in. He's been keeping this all to himself for a long time. Pretty much the whole time he's been traveling with these two. So, it's extremely tough for him here. I felt for him in this scene. Aang, ha- Aang here has something that he actually should be scared of. You know, he's let down his community. Uh, he hears Monkey Atso say, like, Aang, why have you disappeared? And that really weighs on him. Throughout this episode, we see that this responsibility of leaving the world for a 100 years and essentially letting things just go to hell 
has really weighed on him a lot. Uh, and we see Aang freak out. He wakes up after uh, falling into the storm. And we see Sokka jump up with both of his weapons. He has a boomerang and a nice little uh, club thing. Was it a ready club? To I fight. thought it was like a knife almost is what it looked like. It looked sharp. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess, it, yeah, a knife is probably a better description. But Yeah, but then you know, I, I found that odd because I was like, I've never seen Sokka wield a knife this whole series. So when he woke up with it, I was like, yeah, that's an odd weapon. You, I thought he would just have the boomerang holstered. Well, he's uh, he's ready to go, Akimbo. Got both of these weapons ready to go. And I love how he wakes up and he just says, did we get captured again? Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, through the first 11 episodes of this series, they get captured an awful lot, all things considered. Yeah, true. We were talking about that with Chappelle, how we should count the times they're all tied up in ropes. I guess if you're Sokka, you should know you're not captured because you're not in ropes. You're still in your bed. But he might have just been waking up from a dream, too, which he does. He, he does mention that he was dreaming as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we we can get to that. Uh, Katara says that they need food because they're out. And Sokka says, no, we can't go to the market. And the reason why is because in his dream, the food eats people. Uh, again, I feel like that dream is a little bit more on level with our dreams, you know, being scared of things that uh, don't really happen. Whereas Honest- Aang has a, a pretty serious nightmare. Honestly, Sokka's dream might be more scary than both of ours. Not going to lie. It's still like goofy and dumb, but <laughs> compared to our recurring yeah. nightmares, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I just got scared that my parents wouldn't talk to me if I skipped school. Uh, so... I gotta say, if food ate people, I'd be a little bit more scared. The other thing that Sokka mentions that happens in his dream is that Momo can talk, uh, which I think is funny. Yeah, so does Momo just have, like, a sailor mouth? Because then he's like, and Momo was not very nice. So was Momo just dropping, like, F-bombs left and right in his dream? Like, what was going on there? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Uh, Essentially, if Momo was on this podcast, we'd have to bleep out a ton of stuff. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. All right. I think Momo's... Definitely drop in uh, curse words left and right. Well, yeah, according to Sokka, at least. So in the next yeah. scene, we go to it's Iroh and Zuko on their ship. Iroh takes a big whiff of the air, and he's able to sense there's a storm coming just by taking, like, a huge sniff. Is this something people can do? You could just, like, smell the air and smell a storm coming? Is this rooted in science? I don't know. Uh, I, You know... We learned last week that there's some good biology that's in Avatar. I'm going to say that this is this is a uh, fiction. I do not think that you can smell a storm, uh, but maybe you can. Well, um, I, yeah. The reason I ask is because I know like when an earthquake or like a tsunami is happening, animals can actually sense it like way before humans. And I don't even know what's the reasoning for that. But I wonder maybe Iroh just has like an animalistic sixth sense where he can just mm. sense this huge storm coming. Yeah, so I didn't think that they could tell um, from, like, the smell of things. I don't want to freak you out too much, Zach, but uh, I am going to talk about dogs I'm for not, a second. I'm not scared. I'm not scared <laughs> at all anymore. Uh, I've grown out of that, that fear. That's good. Yeah. I'm pretty sure dogs can sense, like, the difference in pressure uh, mm-hmm. in the air, and that's how they can tell. So smelling it might be a little bit different. I'm pretty sure in Mean Girls that Karen Smith can tell that it's going to rain by feeling up her breasts. I'm pretty sure that's uh <laughs> I never watched Pretty mean sure Girls that's her full, but I'll I'll take your word for it. Yep. I'm uh I'm like uh actually 100% sure that this is how she tells and so I have to say if uh Uncle Ira is going to be using a smelling 
That's probably better than Karen Smith well, uh, feeling yourself up. He uses his scent to smell, and then the old lady in a couple of scenes will use her joints. She says her joints could tell that a storm is coming, which honestly makes yeah. even less sense than everything else. <laughs> oh, really? I thought that that made more sense, because I think if there's like a change in pressure, maybe like you feel it differently on your joints, whereas... The smelling of a storm uh, seemed seemed a bit far fetched to me. That's true. No, you actually you you are correct. Honestly, you're, now that I think about it, you're right. See, there we go. A bad take on my part. So not as bad, not as bad as <laughs> cotton candy. We'll never leave this down. All right. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, sorry to bring that up again. My apologies. So Zuko doesn't want to alter course because this storm is coming, and he he wants to he wants he does he says he doesn't care about the crew's safety. And he's like, we just got to continue into this storm anyways. And this angers this crew member who happens to overhear. Now, when I saw this, I was like, I don't get why this crew member is that angry. I mean, I get it. He doesn't want them to go in a storm. But this crew member almost like took offense to it as if like Zuko's not going into the storm too. Because it's not like Zuko's just putting the crew at harm. He's putting himself in harm's way as well. Like, I don't think this is the worst yeah. thing Zuko did, to be honest. Yeah. This is just like sort of a lapse on Zuko's part. Like he can think this, but you don't have to say it out loud. Uh, like he was so explicit saying like, I don't really care about the safety. Like he could have just said like, there are more important things or something. Like he really makes it explicit. And I think that's why I would be so angry if I were this lieutenant, because, uh, if Zuko is going to say that out loud, uh, you know, willing to say, uh, so brazenly, like, I don't care about your safety, then imagine what he's not saying. That's true. That's true. And if you're a grown lieutenant and you're sent on this like wild goose hunt with this petulant, like 14 year old banished exiled prince, then I can see why he would be struggling with that. Makes sense. I mean, there wasn't really too much else in this scene. We'll go. We'll come back to Zuko in a bit. So, Jacob, I got a question for you. Does swishing mean melons are ripe? Like if you hear swishing in a fruit, is that good? Do you want to hear swishing when you're at the grocery store? So maybe uh, this is like something that I've made up, but at some point I thought that I read that uh, people used to put water into melons to make them swish so that they sounded better. Like they sounded uh, like they were like they would be heavier, they'd be larger and they would like sound better. But then like uh, I tried to look this up and I couldn't find it. So maybe I've just like made this up. I think swishing's not a good sound, though. Yeah, I, I personally, I just don't like the sound of, like, stuff swishing in my fruits. And also, wait, I have a question for what you just said. So, how do they put the water in the melons? Do they just do that in, like, a factory or something? Uh, I think, that, no, I think they would, like, uh, inject it with, like, water or something. Huh, interesting. Wow, I didn't, I yeah. had no idea that was a thing. So, then, yeah. <laughs> so then they can't afford, I'm- so, oh, continue. I'm pretty sure what you're supposed to look for uh, is you're supposed to look at the the like end point of the watermelon mm-hmm. and see if the the tail or like the little stem part is is uh, ripe. If that part is green, then I think like it's not ripe or something to that effect. I'm not entirely sure, so don't like buy these melons just off what I'm saying. But I'm pretty sure that if the the little stem is green, then it's not ripe yet. Well, I mean, I hope nobody was really tuning in for our grocery store advice, but if they are, then I hope, (laughs) I hope what you're saying is correct. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, so in this scene, what's funny is like, so they can't actually afford this melon. And then this old lady market vendor, she just kicks Sokka in the keister for no reason. (laughs) I thought this was like one of the funnier jokes in the episode. She just hits him with a little kick. 
Yeah, that was a little bit rude. You know, uh, no harm, no foul. They didn't eat any of the fruit. Like, uh, she recovered all of the produce that she has. So the kick seemed unwarranted to me. Yeah. I thought that was a little bit. A little harsh. No, I'm completely on board with what you're saying. It was very unwarranted. <laughs> and it's not yeah. like they stole it like they did the water bending scroll. So Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Stealing from old women has to be uh not okay, Zach. Oh, definitely not, definitely not. Right. Stealing from old people in general, disavow. We disavow right, that perfect, on Ang in there. Then they they hear this old go- they hear this old couple arguing. Because the woman can sense a storm coming, but her husband still wants to fish. And initially, I didn't actually realize this couple was married because the man offers to pay somebody double what he pays his wife. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize, like, he's actually giving his wife, like, a salary. Like, you'd think it would be a joint venture here with their fishing business. Isn't that kind of odd? Yeah, I did think it was a bit odd, but this couple really seems like they have a good dynamic going. You know, the old man just wants to catch fish. And I think that they're both, they both have funny moments later in the episode. So I think this is like kind of old couple goals. Um, like even though they're bickering a bit, I like their dynamic going back and forth. So if this old man wants to, you know, pay an old woman a small salary, at the end of the day, I'm sure that she can just take whatever uh, she wants from him. I think she's the one who's wearing the pants in this relationship anyway. Yeah, that's true. And like they do bicker, but it's almost always like harmless bickering in a way. So it's not like they're mm-hmm. having any serious disputes. So yeah, no, yep. I think, I think you're kind of right. Yeah. Well, Sokka overhears that the, he can get paid double and he volunteer, uh, volunteers to help catch the fish. Even though there's a big storm coming, according to this old woman, Sokka's ready to go, ready to uh, jump on board the ship. Yeah, because Katara was giving Sokka a little bit of crap for not working and not having a job. And then Sokka immediately hears this and is like, okay, you know what, Katara, screw you. I'm getting a job yeah. right now. And you know what? I, I respected Sokka here for actually going into the storm with this old man. Cause then Aang tells him in the, in a couple scenes, he's like, yeah, I don't want you going to this storm, Sokka. It's dangerous. And Sokka's like, you know what? I already agreed to it. I'm going to do it anyways. And it's like, cause we've given Sokka grief for being lazy in prior episodes, but kudos to hard work in Sokka here. Yeah, it also seems like a fun activity, although I have to imagine that you could probably be more successful fishing off the back of Appa than you would in this boat. I feel like Appa could go like underneath the water, like maybe like bring some of the fish up on his back and you're able to get the fish a lot quicker than fishing the the usual way. Is Appa a really strong swimmer? We do see him swim, but I'm trying to think of an instance where we actually see him swim underwater. I've seen him like tread water before, Mm. but I don't know how good he is underneath in like the sea. That's fair. Maybe, maybe he doesn't have the swimming chops to, to do what I'm suggesting. Maybe the boat's the right way to go. Yeah, and then oh, so we skipped over this little joke because Sokka, he's like, oh, they'll pay double? And this old man's like, double? Who told you that? J. Jonah Jameson-esque in his distaste of paying his workers. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a stickler. I think that, you know, if you're going to be a captain of industry, like I'm sure this person is with his fishing in the village, then you got to be prudent. Uh, can't be paying your workers too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair, more power to him. And it seems like he doesn't have too much resources to even pay people with. His only form of currency is fish, so. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yeah, so then we cut to Zuko, who 
seems to just start going in on this lieutenant and yelling at him. Uh, and like, this was a bit, uh, bit of a weird transition. What did you think about this, Zach? Yeah, this was an odd transition. So who started this confrontation? I thought the lieutenant actually was the one who was really going in even harder than Zuko. Cause Zuko at the end of this is like pretty silent and the lieutenant is like, yeah, he's basically giving Zuko grief saying he shows nobody respect. And he's like, why should we listen to you? You're the banished prince, etc. Yeah. Well, the lieutenant just makes some like, uh, you know, sarcastic comment saying like, oh, hey, there is a storm. Like, I guess we should have listened to your uncle who can smell the storm. And I thought Zuko was the one who was a bit harsh because, uh, yeah, Zuko saying like, I demand respect, but like he was wrong. There is a storm coming. Uh, There's a big storm coming, as they would say. Yeah, no, no, Zuko is in the wrong here, honestly. And I do, I do, I do think like Zuko was being kind of just, I, I keep describing his petulant because that's the way mm-hmm. he just see, sometimes, especially in season one, Zuko will really come across as like very immature, not willing to listen to reason. Even though Iroh's constantly giving him good advice, he just doesn't listen to him until it's too late. So. Yeah. And uh, I think what really sets uh, Zuko off is when the lieutenant says that he's a spoiled prince. As soon as he says that, then Zuko's ready to go right to the Agni Kai. Uh, He's ready to go at him. And as he locks arms with the lieutenant, we see that smoke is already erupting from Zuko's hands. Zuko can barely hold himself back from just lighting this lieutenant on fire. Yeah, Zuko was ready to do what his father did to him, to this poor lieutenant. But luckily, yeah. Iroh was there to quell their dispute before things escalated. And Zuko's like, I don't need any of your help with my crew. Why are you giving Iroh, like, I, this was so weird, because, like, why are you giving Iroh shit for just stopping this fight? Like, that's what I thought, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think this happens a lot where two people are fighting and the person who comes in and tries to mediate often gets a little bit of unwarranted backlash here. Uncle Iroh comes in with a great suggestion, just saying a bowl of noodles is going to solve all your problems. And honestly, I think it would. Uh, who can have an Agni Kai while you're enjoying a nice bowl of noodles? But yeah, Zuko gets upset with him and uh, essentially uh, decides to leave this ship Um yeah, you, can, you, you can't Agni Kai on an empty stomach. Makes sense. No, exactly not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do agree with you. This was a very odd transition, too. But hey, not, not the worst scene ever. So one thing I noticed yeah. here is like the crew is under Zuko's command, of course. But then this is the first time we really see the dynamic with Zuko and his crew. And it seems like they have a lot more respect and like reverence for Uncle Iroh, which makes sense. He's older, a credentialed firebender and war hero. But it's just interesting how Suzuko is technically the leader of this crew, but Iroh's like almost the true leader in a way. At least that's the yeah. vibe I got from this seed. I totally agree. And I think this is how it should be. You know, Uncle Iroh has really earned his stripes. He's the Dragon of the West. Uh, like he's really done a lot for the Fire Nation. Uh, he's clearly like a good bender, a good leader. And I think that Iroh uh, is like clearly the one who should be in charge. Zuko is in charge, but I think all the respect goes to Iroh. Zuko is uh, a kid after all. He's like, he is just a bratty prince, honestly. 
That's true. And Zuko's like leadership is just not great. He does do a decent job in the waterbending scroll episode with the pirates. He basically like yep. um, almost outsmarts them until the end where Sokka pulls a fast one on him. But yeah, besides that, it just seems like Zuko just makes so many bad decisions. So I feel like in Zuko's case, he should just listen to Iroh a little bit more. They probably have more success. Maybe who knows? Maybe they capture Aang if Zuko actually <laughs> listens to Iroh. Yeah. Yeah, if uh, Uncle Iroh would ever let that happen. Um, yeah. So we'll continue here. The next scene, Sokka and the old man, they're boarding the ship. And like, it's basically what I was talking about earlier. You see the storm brewing on the horizon. Aang says it's a bad idea, but Sokka's like, I can't back out now just because of a bit of bad weather. But this storm looks bad. I think he would not have been wrong to back out. Both him and the old man catch your fish for another day. Like you said, this old man, had he gone by himself, he's dead. Like, that's how bad the storm Easily. was. Easy. No, 100%. Yeah. yeah, this is not a great take. Um, although this old man is very observant, actually. I'm impressed. The fisherman's wife says, uh, like, the boy with the tattoos is right. And the old man is like, oh, the boy with the tattoos, you're an airbender. You must be the avatar. And this is the type of logical reasoning I've been waiting for. We've seen Aang roll up at many a different town. And he's always like, well, I'm the avatar. And people are always like, What? The boy with the airbender tattoos is the avatar. This old man is on top of his stuff, and I have to applaud that. Yeah, I think maybe it's because, like, everyone else in the... Actually, we've seen Aang interact with other old people, so maybe this doesn't make sense. But I think this old man, he might not be a 100 years old, but he's lived long enough to know that, like, airbenders have these tattoos. And he's able to yeah. put the pieces together and realize that Aang is the avatar. So, yeah, and yeah, good yeah. for him for using logic compared to everybody else we've seen not use this logic. Well, this old man goes right from using logic to laying into Aang, essentially going off on him for leaving for a hundred years. And this is a touchy point for Aang. Aang's already upset about this. Uh, but this old man lays into him. He yells at him saying that he turned his back on the world by disappearing. It's really nice that Katara comes to Aang's defense, but Aang is still really upset about this and is not able to shake it easily. Yeah, and I was thinking about this. Like, how at fault do you think this old man is for airing these like, grievances he has with the Avatar? Because the thing is, Aang leaving in the way he did and the like disappearing for a hundred years kind of did screw up the world for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, sad yeah. as, as sad as it, and this is why Aang is dealing with so much regret and all of that. Because Aang getting stuck in the iceberg in the ocean led to the air nomads being almost genocided, pretty much. It led to this the world plunging into a hundred years of war famine this old man doesn't have money he can only barter with like gross fish <laughs> so I, I can like um, like it's kind of rude of him to be jump piling onto this child who he doesn't know but at the same time yeah i could see why he's lived his whole life in the war pretty much with a war yeah. going on so yeah, like, I'm not really sure what this old man hopes to do by yelling at Aang. Like, I kind of think it's like a sunk cost. Like, yeah, uh, Aang shouldn't have left his, uh, left the world for a hundred years and turned his back on the world. But at the same time, like, what is yelling at him going to do about it? I think he's just upset, though. Um, but I, I think what's more important here is that we see that Aang is really shaken. Uh, he's like clearly very upset not having um not yeah not being able to respond here he knows that the weight of the world is on him and he really uh runs away from this responsibility yeah he does right he glides away 
Katara quickly jumps on Appa to go follow him. The old man's like, hey, your friends are pretty rude, aren't they? And then Sokka's like, yeah, I know. And then, and then he just interrupts Sokka and doesn't even listen to his response. So. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to know what story Sokka was going to go with, with uh, uh, his friends being rude. I think it'd be funny to hear the most egregious offense in Sokka's eyes. Yeah, I wonder that too. And yeah, this old yeah. man, he's the kind of, he's the only comic relief we really get in this episode. And it's like, yeah, he does have some funny little one-liners. Who do you like more, yeah. this old fisherman or the tour guide from last week with Amon? Hmm, I like that tour guide. That tour guide was right on the verge of crazy. And I feel like that's that's where I want my characters to be. This old man kind of, he has too much wherewithal. You know, I like the logical reasoning, but for my comic relief, I want people bordering on straight up mad. What about you, Zach? Yeah, that's fair. I kind of like the tour guide from last week because he almost reminded me of like some an old person you'd see on like ancient aliens, something like mm. that. That's what yeah, it, yeah. he kind of had those vibes. So, yeah, I yeah. agree with you. I think I've preferred the tour guide from last week. Makes sense to me. Yeah. So as uh, as the storm really is starting to heat up, we see Katara flying around and eventually she spots Aang in a nice, uh, nice little cave. Really nice that a cave is here. Very convenient, you know, to get out of the rain and make a fire. Yeah, that's true. This was a very convenient cave. And basically, so Katara just, she walks in on Aang. He's moping by himself. And she's like, talk to me, Aang. Because even at the beginning of the episode, when Aang has that nightmare, Katara's like imploring him to open up to her. And he doesn't. But now he finally is like, okay, Katara, I'll tell you the full story. So this is for the first time we get Aang's like basically his full backstory here and the whole retelling of the events that led to him ending up in the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, we start in a nice little flashback back to this like cream colored, uh, filter over the world. Mm -hmm. And we go back to the Southern Air Temple. And unlike the last time that we saw it, you know, completely desolate and destroyed by fire nations, uh, this is pretty lively. There are lots of other kids. Uh, it seems like it's a pretty thriving place to be and pretty exciting. We see Aang introduce the air scooter technique to the rest of the kids. I think it's funny how uh, everyone's like, how'd you come? Uh, like, where'd you learn this? He's like, I just made it up. And then soon everyone's doing it. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, Aang is such an inventive, like, kid. So, like, <laughs> it's crazy how much influence he has on the other airbenders. He's able yeah. to conceptualize this and actually bring it to life. And then a few scenes later, everybody's riding on these air scooters. So, good job yep. to Aang here. Yeah, it's also kind of cool how that happens. Like, no one can do something. But then as soon as one person figures it out and teaches everyone, then it's, like, super trivial to do. And everyone can do the air scooter. Yeah. Oh, continue. <laughs> that, that's just like a cool thing. It comes up uh, in Legend of Korra as well. Um, like no, no, no spoilers there. But like people are doing more advanced bending techniques um, in like the first episodes, which are it's pretty cool to see that it's caught on. Yeah, I agree. Even the metal bending and stuff with Toph, which we'll get into later. I think it's yeah. cool how like bending is something that's also evolving in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, so we see uh, Gyatso roll up and uh, he tells Aang that the the old elder monks need to talk to him. And this has real uh, like Jedi Council vibes. A bunch of old people sitting in a room deciding stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't write that down, but you're 100% right. This definitely is. I could definitely see like Mace Windu and like Palpatine just sitting on this council of monks. And these air yeah. nomad monks, outside of Monk Yatsu, these seem kind of mean. And like, I was surprised because I thought monks were like spiritual and nice, but these guys just kind of seem like 
I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, the word that I had is they seem crotchety. They seem like a little bit angry at the world and old and bitter. And I was not about these people at all. Uh, yeah, I wish they were all like Monkey Azzo. He, it clearly makes sense why they had a statue of Monkey Azzo and not the rest of them, because that dude's way better. No, 100% agree with you, but it's just so weird, because when I think of a monk, I think I'm like, inner peace, zen, and these yeah. guys are like the complete opposite of that, so that's what I yeah. found very odd about this. They had a lot of get-off-my-lawn energy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. So the monks, the monks felt like this war was brewing. So they told Ang he was an avatar four years earlier than they normally do. So because they usually tell the avatar that he, they're the avatar when they're age 16 and Ang was only yep. 12 when they sprung this on him. So he's a 12 year old kid and they're telling him that like it's so much pressure on him. I feel like from such a young age. I feel like 99% of children would have cracked under this pressure. Oh, I totally agree. And I would be questioning the way that they find out you're the Avatar. Uh, apparently, what happens is there are a bunch of uh, toys. And if you pick out the Avatar relics, then you're the Avatar, which is a lot of pressure. Like, Could you imagine like bringing your kid into preschool and it's like, oh, what toys are they going to pick? Are they going to be a regular kid? Or are they going to be the most powerful person in the universe? Like, yeah. that's a big swing. No, it is. And I read the Kiyoshi novels not too long ago. They're very well written. One of the co-creators wrote them with another person. And one thing, when when Avatar Kiyoshi was learning that she was an avatar, they go into more detail with this toy selection process. And I won't spoil, but it's interesting how they do they do this selection process because it's odd like what if a kid just happens to pick those four toys like because they say oh these toys belong to the avatars past lives and only the avatar would pick all four toys i don't know i feel like that's not a foolproof like way to go about doing this you know what i mean yeah they do say that there are uh thousands of toys or whatever so I feel like the chance that you're actually going to have uh, four toys all being picked out of like a one in a thousand shot is just so low that I'd be willing to take it. Like, I'm pretty sure it's like one in a trillion that you'd get like a, a random error. So I feel like those are good odds. I guess I didn't run the numbers. You might be right, but I just think... It's there's still room for error there, which I would not want because the avatar, like choosing the avatar, is very important. You don't want to screw that up and have a non non avatar avatar essentially. Yeah, I think uh, the number is uh, a million millions. So I feel like you're okay at that point. Ah, yeah, you're probably right. You this guy did the math. There we yeah, go. Yeah, I I feel like uh, that's an okay error, and uh, yeah, maybe we can be confident. Actually, now that I'm doing the math, I think it's uh, a lot more foolproof than I initially thought. So I guess yeah, it makes sense. Um, these these monks are saying that they were going to wait until he's 16, but that the storm clouds are gathering, and that they think that war is coming. Yeah, and it sucks for Aang, because not only does he already have the pressure of being the Avatar, he has to start training, bending the other elements, but he goes back to play with these other kids, but they don't want to play with him because it's unfair since he's the Avatar, which makes absolutely no sense to me, because couldn't he? they just in, like have a rule where he just has to only airbend and can't use any other type of bending? Like, how is that unfair? Yeah, I agree, because I don't think that being the Avatar necessarily means that you're the best of your bending type. Like, maybe an airbending master could be better than the Avatar, even though they could bend all four elements. 
It also seems like they don't need to make equal teams. Like they have this kid named Jinju who looks like a, like I don't know. <laughs> Do you uh, want to get into like a peanuts character? Because I have some notes on Jinju. Because then Ang sulks and walks away, and then the tall kid's like, "Okay, who wants Jinju on their team?" Now I, I got a lot of questions about Jinju. Firstly, yeah. why is he covered in mud? Why is he surrounded by this huge cloud of dust? Is he like an earthbender that stumbled into the Southern Air Temple and then they just like shaved his head and made him like one of them? No, I definitely think that this guy is, uh, yeah, I think this kid's definitely an airbender. I, he looks like Pigpin to me from the Peanuts things, always having a cloud of dust around him. Um, yeah, he's no, just he- like literally always extremely dirty, always has dust and bugs around him. I think it's just not sanitary. I guess, but he's one of like the weirdest kids I've ever seen in Avatar. One of the weirdest background characters, honestly. And is he, yeah. if you're an airbender, why is he so dirty? Cause couldn't he just like quickly like airbend any dust off of himself? I think he doesn't really care to. Like, uh, <laughs> no, you're I'm sure right. he could. I think he's just, uh, totally fine not to. So yeah, Aang does not get to play with them. It really didn't make sense. I feel like what you do is you have Aang and Jinju on a team and you see whether they can win or not. I feel like that's the ultimate challenge. No, you're absolutely right. Especially when we were younger, we'd always do that. Whenever we were playing basketball or any sport, we would just match up like, okay, we'll put the best player and the worst player on in one team and everybody else on the other team. And it usually yeah. works out. You can usually get a fair game like that. Fun fact, yeah. I looked this up. Besides Aang, Jinju is the only named airbender child in the whole series. Cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fun Jinju fact there. There you go. I uh, yeah, good. Uh, I think that Jinju deserves uh, deserves the respect for sure. Uh, Zach, you mentioned that um, you know you pair up the best kids with the worst kids when you're playing games. What would you be uh, when you're like playing basketball or whatever? I wasn't. I mean, I was not great because I was never that athletic. That was always my issue. I liked to pass, and I was good enough on offense. I had like decent a decent post game. I don't know if I had a wet jumper like Akiva. <laughs> I kind of like what he said that. I was like, I wonder how good his jump shot really was. That's so why it was kind of funny. But yeah, so I, I was never the worst. Worst. Sometimes I would be. My friends were really good. So, if, but if if I was the worst in a group, then we'd still just end up making fair teams. To be honest, so. yeah. Yeah, I always felt like I was pretty mediocre. Like, I'm never on, like, uh, you know, the A team, but, like, I'm solid B team. Yeah, well, I was on the basketball team in high school, but I was a bench player because our team was pretty good. We competed for okay. the city championships numerous times. Oh, wow. But th- yeah, but there would be – sometimes I'll be – it depends who I'm playing with, right? Sometimes I'll be playing with friends, and I'll be the best player on a team, which I don't actually like because I'm the type of basketball player. I like to pass and do stuff, but I think we might be losing people with the sports talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll continue. Right. Once you get me started about sports, I don't stop, so – yeah, yeah, sounds good. We can, uh, yeah, we, we can move on. So, yeah, so uh, Mon- we'll, we'll keep going. Yeah. yeah. Oh, continue. So, Monkeyatsu, he's playing Pai Show with Aang here. He does, he does a little thing where he quickly airbends Aang's hood over his head and then switches the pieces. So, just straight up cheating, but seems like he's just doing a nice thing, like playing around with Aang. But the other monks are not happy. This other monk storms it. He's like, Aang needs to be training right now. And Monkeyatsu's like, well, I think Aang's done enough training for today. And they have this little back and forth. And you can already see the friction between Monkeyatsu and the other monks. Yeah, you can kind of see why uh, they want to split up Monkeyatsu. Because 
You know, he's playing a game. He's even cheating at the game, which kind of defeats the entire purpose of playing. But uh, I guess that's beyond me. I think he was playfully yeah. cheating, though. Like, Aang knew. They both laughed about it when he did it. So it wasn't a big yeah. deal. Yeah. But so uh, the other monk is saying he has to practice his airbending. But uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, Monkey Yatso is in charge, apparently. So he gets to say no uh, and said, we're going to play a game. Uh, I think we'll stick with the the Aang story here, so as to avoid jumping back and forth. So <laughs> the next thing the next thing we see here is uh, Aang is uh, you know uh, we cut back to Aang in um, you know the real terms, uh, not like a flashback. And he's saying that as soon as he like felt better about things, he overheard uh, something bad. We cut back to the flashback, and we see the monks talking in private. Uh, and the monks are telling Monkey Atso that Aang has to go uh, to the Eastern Air Temple. He can no longer be a normal child. They have to split up Monkey Atso and Aang in order to help with his training. Aang overhears this, and it really devastates him. Yeah, Aang honestly was dealt such a horrible hand here. Like, there was very little he could have done to avoid any of this. As soon as he's told he's the Avatar, he's immediately ostracized by every other heir nomad his age. And then finally, when he finds solace in his confidant and mentor in Gyatso, because he says, like, things are finally getting better, the heir mm-hmm. nomads decide to send him off to the Eastern Air Temple and separate him from Gyatso. And the most heartbreaking thing of all is the next scene, Gyatso walks into Aang's room. It's night. And he's like, Aang, I won't let them take you away from me. Meaning Gyatso was willing to like go to war with these other monks for the sake of staying Aang's teacher and trainer. Which is so heartbreaking because he says this, but he walks into the room and it's too late. Aang is already gone. And we all kind of know what happens next. He took Appa, ran away in this storm and froze himself in the iceberg for a hundred years. What about you, Jacob? What did you think about all of this? Yeah, I think it's really sad because we uh, like we know that Monkey Atsu came in wanting to fight for Aang, but Aang never will get to find this out because uh, like he obviously wasn't there. Um, so Aang may not know that Monkey Atsu really was willing to go to bat for him. And this really has to hurt because uh, in his mind, we see in the nightmare that he's having Monkey Atsu saying, like, why do you disappear? Like you left us all alone. But really, Monkey Atsu empathizes with Aang and really would have wanted him to say and fought for him. So it is really unfortunate that he's not going to get to know about this. Yeah, I agree with you. It is unfortunate. But at least in the Avatar universe, we see most airbenders, as well as Iroh, have a strong spiritual connection. And yep. I think like they can all live in the spirit world in the afterlife. So maybe when Aang passed away... He saw um, Gyatso in the spirit world and they were able to catch up and reminisce about the old times. That is some nice solace that we have. One thing I wanted to point out is when Aang gets really upset when he's recounting the story, he like blows back the fire and Katara exclaims, hot cinders, which I think is like a great uh, exclamation. I'm going to start saying that anytime something surprises me instead of being like, oh my, I'm just going to say like hot cinders. Yeah, I mean, Katara's lucky, honestly, Aang did just, like, straight up burn her here. (laughs) That happens a little bit later. (laughs) Yeah, this could have been a lot worse. But Katara tells Aang it's not his fault, but Aang laments that the the old fisherman from earlier was right. The world needed him, and he turned his back on the world. And like I said, man, Aang... You feel for him in this scene, honestly, as a viewer, because what could he have done? He was dealt such a horrible, horrible hand here. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is really uh, unfortunate here, but it does seem like Katara really is looking on the bright side. She's saying that even though it's really bad that he was gone, like that it's nice that the world has hope uh, and that, you know, the world needs him now. Uh, they needed him a hundred years ago. Sure. But like, it's really good that he's here now. It's like all meant, uh, you know, to give the, him hope. This is what we see grand grand say in the first episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's nice to see Katara reiterate this point with Aang. Yeah. It's just, it's so tough because Aang is supposed to be the beacon of light to pretty much all people in the world. But he's just a 12 year old kid. Like what if Aang just wakes up one day? He's just like, Oh, I just feel like shit. I don't feel like do a part of my language. Sorry. He's just like, Oh, I don't feel like doing anything today. Cause when you're a normal person, it's like you feel depressed or whatever. You can just like have a day to yourself. Aang doesn't have mm-hmm. that. Like every single day of his life, at least in the series, he has to be working towards stopping this war. And it's just a tremendous amount of pressure. Even, even if Ang was an adult avatar in this era of war, if he was like a 30 year old avatar, it would still be pressure on him, but he's not 30. He's 12. So yeah, I feel for him a lot. Yeah. It's uh, not a great position, but he is pretty capable to help people. Uh, the next thing that we see in Ang's story is that the old woman bursts in. She's saying the storm's getting bad and uh, her husband and Sokka are not back yet. Uh, it's pretty impressive that this woman went all the way from the town up to the cave. She didn't have a flying glider and she didn't have a flying uh, air buffalo like Appa. She had to walk up there and this old woman gets there and is determined to save her husband. How did she even find the cave? Like, didn't there's not like she had a way of knowing Aang and Katara went to this cave. Aang went by himself. Did she, like, track Katara, like, with Oppa's fur or something on the ground, like the Fireman Nation did earlier? My like, guess is that she's a local. She knows that this cave exists. And she's saying, a convenient cave in the middle of a rainstorm, this is exactly where they're going to be. <laughs> That's my guess. I guess. So, we'll cut back. We'll go back a bit to Zuko's story. So, what happens is these Fire Nation lieutenant, the Fire Nation lieutenant from earlier... He's sick of helping Zuko. He's complaining over dinner over this fire, fire. But Iroh comes in and then they, the Iroh explains. He's like, Zuko's complicated. So he talks, he's, he goes into Zuko's backstory and he says, so there was a meeting with all these fire nation generals. Zuko was a lot younger and he, Zuko really wanted to go to this military meeting. And Iroh says, well, you can come in, but you just can't talk. But Zuko, so what ends up happening is this Fire Nation lieutenant in this meeting is like, oh, so what we're going to do, there's, we're going to basically sacrifice these recruits and launch an attack from the front. So he's basically, basically just going to sacrifice these like young Fire Nation recruits in the war, basically letting them die pretty much. And Zuko takes offense to this and he speaks out against this plan. And Fire Lord Ozai was not happy with this and ends up, cha- ends up challenging him to an Agni Kai. And this is horrible. Like he's a yeah. child and his own father's challenging him to an Agni Kai. Like it's tough. Yeah. So I think a few cool moments here. So first we get to see Zuko without a burned face and he looks pretty boring without that feature. Uh, like, you know, the burned face that he has is pretty much the only unique uh, facial feature he has going for him. And I think he looks better with the burn face and without it. 
What, uh, do you agree with that take or not? No, I don't. <laughs> I think it looks, right. especially we, we, we see him a little later. There's like the idealistic theme of, of him playing with Azula while his mother's looking on. And he just looks so much like not just happier, but almost like, like, like a different person. Like with the burn, he looks so weathered and just like sadder almost in a way is yeah, what I thought. He looks so boring without the burn. Like, I don't know. He's got nothing going for him. All right, agree to disagree. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. I don't. I don't know. Like boring, I guess. But the burn is just unsightly, in my opinion. Well, yeah, we I think can, it we looks can... pretty cool. Uh, anyway, no, so, yeah, we'll, we'll continue. Yeah. So we have uh, Zuko yelling in this meeting, and he stands up, and he thinks that he's yelling at the general. Uh, and so when he challenges Agni Kai, he assumes that he's going to be fighting the general. Uh, Uncle Iroh explains that uh, by yelling in his uh, in Fire Lord Ozai's chambers, that while he was disrespecting the general, he was also disrespecting Fire Lord Ozai. And because Ozai takes offense to us, then he has to duel his own father. Uh, pr- pretty serious stuff. Uh, I think Freud would be shaking in his boots right now. Yeah, 100%. And also, one thing I kind of glossed over when I was telling the story is their, like, meeting setup is all the Fire Nation generals around the table, and then Ozai just sitting overhead with, like, a wall of fire in front of him. Did you notice this, Jacob? Yeah, and the wall of fire is cool because whenever uh, Ozai gets angry, whenever Zuko's speaking up, we see the fire get larger. Just like we saw in Zuko's private quarters, whenever he was meditating and got angry, the fire rose. The same thing's happening here. Ozai's fire raises and you can tell that Ozai is upset. Yeah, yeah. And then we see, so he realizes he has to fight Ozai and he profusely apologizes. He's like, he doesn't want to fight his father. He says he's sorry for speaking out of line, but uh, Ozai burns his face anyways. Now, I have a question for you. Is this the most like horrible thing we see in Avatar or like we see Ozai do? Because you don't really see Ozai, while he's the antagonist of the series, they don't really show him doing anything actually evil on screen throughout the series besides this um i mean i think like what he stands for is pretty bad you know like he's burning entire villages in the finale uh in some of the last episodes he like gets on a blimp and just like burns down an entire an entire field like that's gotta be pretty bad so while this is like a really cruel act i feel like ozai does some pretty bad stuff throughout the series no you you are correct but this is just to be able to burn your own child like obviously me and you are quite young none of us have any children but to be able like i don't know how you're able to come to grips with that especially a defenseless child in that right it's not even a child who's fighting you or attacking you you know what i mean yeah uh he you know ozai really feels like he has to teach this lesson he says uh that zuko's gonna learn respect and suffering will be your teacher and then burns him in the face and we also get to see uh uncle iroh who's telling the story in the flashback hide his eyes while he's burning him while we see Azula cheering on. Azula, uh, Azula. And, Zhao, as, and Zhao are looking on with like murderous glee. Like they're like yeah. happy watching this. Azula's like uh, very excited for this, which is uh, a little scary. I think this might, this might, you know, show how unhinged she is if she's so excited about this. But yeah, so then we hear that the lieutenant thought that it was a training accident, that that's how uh, Zuko got his face burned. I'm surprised because uh, Ozai does this so publicly. He burns the face in front of so many people. Like you have to imagine most of the 
firebending aristocracy. So I'm surprised that the story of a training accident is the story they go with. I thought the same thing as you, but I have a feeling, and I could be wrong. This is just my like head cannon essentially. But when Ozai sent Zuko with Ira on this trip, I think he sent him with like some very low level Fire Nation soldiers to the point where maybe they weren't even allowed in that arena where um, Ozai ends up burning Zuko's face. Yeah, I just feel like that's got to be the talk of the town. Like, did you hear that our prince got burned by the king? Like, that's some pretty serious stuff. I feel like any port they go to to restock, then any of the Fire Nation soldiers would be like, oh, dang, that's pretty uh, intense stuff going on. No, you, but, you are you are correct. Yeah. I found Because I found that odd as well that this lieutenant yeah. had no idea about this. And what's crazy? Well, oh, 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 continue. I was just going to say, we, we can leave that be because I feel like uh, that might have just been a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one thing that's so crazy to me about this whole thing is like, while I was watching this, even when I first saw this live, I was like, this is a children's show. And we have the sadistic leader of a genocidal nation burning and maiming his only son's face for the sole reason that he spoke out of line. Like, that's it. And this, like, that's so crazy to me that this is like something that I just, like ozai would do like burning and maiming his own son his only son's face like i was so shocked when i first saw this like i feel like this is a good way to introduce like the sort of cruelty of the fire nation because so far the characters we have zuko and iroh that like they are like kind of seen as bad guys zuko more so than iroh but they're not like the cruel type of antagonist that like you uh hate uh zuko's like the type of antagonist that like you wish would you know turn and become better as he will throughout the series so it's nice to have this sort of like antagonist for zuko as well we also learn that uh the reason why zuko is so obsessed with capturing the avatar is because ozai says the only way that he can come back and uh rejoin the society is by capturing the avatar so the avatar is the only key that zuko can have to get back in yeah, and the thing is, when Iroh says this, it's like, the way he worded it made it almost seem like, even if Zuko did capture the Avatar, like, he'll never truly be accepted back mm-hmm. in by Ozai. At least that's the vibe I got from it, which is quite sad. Yeah, yeah. We get a really cool shot here where we see Zuko meditating in front of the candles back in his room. Uh, we see him, you know, get to have this uh, flashback to his youth where he sees himself running and uh, I think Ozai like is being nice and puts a hand on his shoulder before his face is burned. And then and uh, we cut from that happy face to the angry, grizzled face of Zuko uh, right as lightning hits the ship. And I think this is a really good element of storytelling. You can see how much wear and tear the past few years have had on Zuko. Yeah, Zuko's 14, but he looks like he's aged 10 years. Because I had this whole scene in my notes. In my opinion, this is, like, the best scene of the episode. Because especially the transition of, like, when lightning strikes. I think the Avatar animators just do such a good job, especially with lightning in particular. Because I've seen... I watch a lot of anime and animated TV shows. And I've seen lightning animated and look kind of odd and not realistic at times. Whereas the animators just do an amazing job in these scenes. Especially with this storm in particular. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, the next thing we see is everyone goes up to Zuko's ship and uh, they see that uh, it, the top of the ship was hit uh, where the helmsman is standing. And he's hanging on at the very edge, trying to hold on and not fall. We see Zuko and the lieutenant just start climbing up the ladder. 
And this is the first time that we see something pretty cool, Zach. Uh, we see lightning start to hit the ship. And instead of it hitting the ship, uh, the metal ship, so I think everyone would be electrocuted. So it's good that uh, Uncle Iroh's there. Uncle Iroh takes the lightning into his body and redirects it into the water. Very yeah. impressive. I remembered most of this episode from my first viewing, but I actually completely forgot that Iroh lightning bends here. Because this is early in the series we see lightning bending. I actually thought lightning bending was introduced in season two, so my memory was way off. It's a technique only firebenders can learn, and man, it's badass. It's like, I wish I could. If I could live in the Avatar universe, I'd want to be an airbender, but at the same time, I'd also want a lightning bend because it's yeah. such an amazing power to have, I feel like. Yeah. This is a really cool one, and I think this uh, episode does a great job of setting up stuff that comes up in Season 2. We see Azula being so cruel and cheering on her brother getting, uh, like, essentially burned on his face. We see Uncle Iroh introduce lightning bending. Uh, both very cool things. We also see Aang's nightmares, which are a recurring theme throughout the series. So I think it, this is a nice episode. It, and it's not like a setup episode like the Southern Air Temple was, where every single thing's just setting up storylines. But there are nice little subplots that are going to come up later. Yeah, they do a really good job because this episode is a lot of like flashbacks and setting stuff up, but it's not boring at all. And they do a good job really planting these seeds that will sprout in season two and even season yeah. three. Now, I wonder with when it comes to the science of lightning bending, because that's what we do on this show. We talk science a lot of the time. Is there a reason <laughs> like it's a firebender trait and not a trait of anybody else? Because I was curious. So I actually found a physics.com thread about like why lightning is considered a plasma, but fire isn't and then they were using like words and calculation that were way way too complex for my pea brain to follow but basically i was wondering like why is it that firebenders can lightning bend and like it's not a trait that another bending type would have um yeah i'm not really sure i'm pretty sure uh in the avatar universe that lightning is sort of the colder version of fire it's like cold-blooded fire Mm -hmm. um, so potentially that's why it doesn't actually seem like uh, lightning is directly related to fire. The only thing I can think of is that when lightning hits like uh, the ground, for example, it can sometimes cause a fire. That's true. Um, but they don't actually seem like super connected. I think that it's just like, um, yeah, it's kind of like in the same way that like earth and metal are not the same thing, but like they seem like they go together. Lightning and fire seem to have that same connection. That's true. For me, it was weird. I was like, it was easier for me to like connect the earth bending to the metal bending, whereas like fire bending and lightning bending kind of seemed like a bigger leap in a way, but maybe I'm just dumb. So yeah, uh, I think it's just like that, you know, the lightning hitting the tree before the movies. Yeah. Like the yeah, yeah. Jerry Brock. Yeah. Brocka, I know, yeah. I know. I know exactly what you mean. So we're yeah. gonna we're gonna jump back to like back to Ang and them. So Ang he, he's flying on up and he sees the ship. A huge wave comes and while what Ang does, he like spins his glider around or just his staff and like basically airbends a hole through this huge wave. And I yeah. thought that was a very interesting use of his airbending there. A, a good use of airbending for sure. I'm surprised that Katara doesn't really seem to help uh, Aang that much with the water bending. It seems like maybe she could help calm the water. Maybe it's too aggressive for her even. 
But yeah, it does seem like Aang resorting to airbending here was a bit of a weird take in my No, opinion. you're right. You're actually 100% right. Because I thought that too. I thought like, why not both of them waterbending? Because we've seen them do some decent waterbending in tandem or yeah. in earlier episodes just recently too. So yeah, yeah together they're very good waterbenders. Yeah, 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 exactly. You'd think like with their combined waterbending <laughs> ability, they could bend this wave away, yeah. but apparently they yeah. cannot. It, uh, one nice thing that we see here is as they uh, spot the fishing boat, they pass Zuko's ship. Zuko sees them, and the lieutenant asks, what should we do? And instead of Zuko prioritizing getting the Avatar, Zuko instead says that we should get the people safe. Uh, let's get our crew safe and make sure that we are okay. And they head to the eye of the hurricane. Did this make you think about Hamilton, Zach? No, because I've never seen Hamilton set. What? Yeah, oh we've talked, we've been over this, I think. <laughs> it so baffles me Hamilton. every time. Yeah. No, I think okay, we, we well. talked about it in one of the early episodes, like episode one or two, like one of our first oh, podcasts. Yeah, true. You asked me, and I was like, no, I have not seen Matt Cena Hamilton, well, sadly. Why is I, I am sure one of the songs in it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure this will not be the last time that this comes up, but at one point, uh, there's a song called Hurricane. And uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda says, uh, like, in the eye of the hurricane, there is quiet. And I thought, like, oh, hey, that's some good advice. You know, if you're ever if you're ever uh, in a storm on a ship with uh, your uncle, you always just need to go to the eye of the hurricane. <laughs> when I think of songs related to hurricane, what I think of Hurricane by Bob Dylan, I think. That's one of his songs about the boxer sure, yeah. Hurricane who was wrongly accused of murder. And I also think of Spirits Having Flown by the Bee Gees, where they talk about a hurricane in the chorus. It's a very good song. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people might be uh, on my Hamilton Hurricane uh, vibe, but I like the songs that you came up with too. Those are yeah, those true. Are I mean, you'd have to be like older and like boomer. a boomer essentially to be listening to the two songs I brought up today. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we'll continue and like so Ang is able to he sees Sokka and the old man on this ship and this is probably like the funniest line in an episode that's not doesn't have too many funny lines because Sokka's like I'm too young to die and this old man's like I'm not but I don't want to die anyways which I thought was pretty funny yeah. he's like able in the moment to acknowledge that he's old enough where he if he passed away it would not be a big deal yeah this was this was good old man energy here uh, <laughs> I really appreciated this line uh, yeah, and, then, and then Oh, then we see Aang jump aboard, and it looks like he uses some impressive water bending to take a beam that's about to fall on Sokka and the old man and split it in two by hitting it with water. Uh, this seems like a pretty advanced technique for someone who really has not had formal water bending training yet. Yeah, I guess Aang, when he's like under duress or like a lot of pressure, his bending ability just improves because you're absolutely right. He's basically able, he brings like three geysers out of this, like the water pooling on the ship and is able to split this beam with these three geysers, which is kind of crazy. And uh, and this is another thing where it's like, wouldn't Katara be more useful in this instance? Because she's, I, I think she's a better waterbender than Aang, yeah. but... No, I definitely thought that Katara should have stepped in here. It makes sense why Aang does, because he's the one who struggled with not being able to save the world. So it makes sense that they gave this responsibility to him. But it seems like a lost opportunity to not have Katara help out, because she is a pretty good waterbender. Yeah, I just felt that this whole scene, it's like Katara could have been way more useful, which she almost yeah. always is. It's just, I guess the writers of this episode were like, okay, we have to have Aang save everybody rather than Katara this one time. Mm -hmm. So Aang's able to get the old man at Sokka on Appa, but 
they instantly, uh, even the biggest wave we see yet, knocks them all into the ocean. Now, if you're Aang, this must have been the worst PTSD ever in this <laughs> moment because he's in the water, he's floating. Not only does he see Appa floating in the water, just like a hundred years before, but he also sees both Sokka, Sokka, Katara, and this old man. They're all about to die and drown. So, and, he, and, and now that his friends are all about to pass away, he's able to activate the Avatar state and save the day, essentially. Yeah, it's a really good thing that he doesn't uh, kick into an iceberg uh, mentality again. Because if he makes another iceberg and we have to wait another hundred years, that would really suck. Especially for this old man who would not have his wife around anymore. So it's good that he learned uh, instead of running away from his problems, he's going to save himself. I was a little disappointed in Appa, though. I wanted to see Appa surf a little bit more. It seems like he got overtaken by the wave immediately, and I wanted to see him try to surf it out a little bit. To, to, to be honest, <laughs> I know you're kind of like tongue-in-cheek, but one thing I was thinking about <laughs> this whole time is this is rough for Appa. Like, they got him flying through this storm, flying through tidal waves. Like, he got a rest one episode recently, but he's they're back to, like, working Appa hard here. Yeah, Appa definitely grinds uh, throughout you, this series. And you are right. I didn't think of this, but what what would have happened if Aang created another iceberg and then they're just stuck in it for two hundred years? Would the world just be like a hellscape dystopia where like Fire Nation rule rules the world? Like, what would it be like? Yeah, I think that uh, Ozai uses the comet to take over everyone, and uh, yeah, I think that pretty much every nation would fall, and we'd have to. Try again in a hundred years uh, with the next comet and the next group of people. Damn, that'd be so messed up. That's like almost like the path. Have you ever seen Powerpuff Girls? Uh, they, yeah. They have the episode where like him, I think, is the villain where mm-hmm. they go into the future and like the world just horrible. That episode scared me as a kid. <laughs> that Powerpuff Girls episode. Watch it back. Like, I feel, unlike my wishbone fear, like that episode is actually for Powerpuff Girls for a show where it's like the three main characters are three little girls. Like that episode is pretty kind of horrifying because yeah. it's like a crazy hellscape dystopia, essentially. It definitely, it definitely makes more sense than your fear about wishbone the dog. Yes. Yes. Uh, definitely. hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. So, so what we see here is, uh, Aang is able to successfully get Appa. Uh, out of the water and uh, we cut to Zuko uh, in the eye of the storm in the eye of the hurricane and uh, Zuko is apologizing to the uncle they're able to uh, essentially find calmer waters and settle that feud Uh, and that's the end of the Zuko story there yeah, he apologized to Iroh for his insubordination earlier, which is nice. And this is a good episode for Zuko because it's one of the first episodes where we see him actually like grow. He realizes he was wrong for making them go into the storm and for like the lieutenant stuff beefing with him earlier. So at least he's acknowledging his mistake. He doesn't end up chasing Aang, even though Aang's right there. So yep. good on Zuko actually learning from his mistakes prior. Yeah, some nice growth here. Uh, then we see uh, the Aang and the rest of Team Avatar reunite with the old woman. The old man and the old woman immediately get to bickering, which I think is uh, very apt. And the woman says that the man needs to apologize to Aang. Uh, Aang's like, no, it's fine. Uh, and the fisherman's like, well, uh, I'll just give you a fish as an apology. Uh, that's his you, solution to everything it's like yeah. the fish that you talk about is in Katara's pocket that's this guy he's got fish on deck uh, yeah I was actually about to say that so last episode Katara probably had to dump out her pocket bass uh, in order to go through the creepy canyon 
Now she has another fish, so we're back to having a fish in Katara's pocket. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, they're worried. back with the fish. And then Sokka, for his payment, is he's also just paid in a fish. And I like just this the image of, or the scene where the old man just slaps the fish onto his mm-hmm. hand. I thought that was a, that was a funny little thing yeah. they had there. Also, the, the old man says that fish are not meat. Quick fact check. That's not true. I, I don't know what he's talking about. No, he's completely wrong. Because then Aang's like, oh, I don't need the fish. I don't eat meat. And he's like, fish ain't meat. Like, I get some people are pescatarian, but, like, fish are objectively meat. So, no, anyway, 100%, just no, just leaving that there. Leaving that. You there. are correct. Like, nobody's right. going to argue with you on that point. So, Watch. Yeah, this is going to be our most controversial episode ever because we said that. <laughs> so, yeah, Aang tells Katara he's done dwelling on the past. And the episode ends with a decided lack of controversy. Yeah. Uh, a nice place to end the episode. You know, uh, this is another example of a time where we're introduced to a conflict. It could have been multiple episodes in a worse TV show where it seems to drag out a bunch. But instead, we have both Zuko and Aang deal with their insecurity, deal with the fact they have all this responsibility and they feel like they've let themselves down. And we see the resolution. We see personal growth from both characters. And at the end of the episode, we're left with something a lot more... Uh, you know, uh, I guess illuminating based on where the characters are and I guess where they are in their journey. Yeah. And it's just like with Aang and Zuko, both of them, like even Zuko, he does not look 14. And one no. thing I learned from these Kyoshi novels as well, this isn't really a spoiler, but when you're a Fire Nation, member and you do something dishonorable what they do they make you cut your hair because hair is a big symbol of status in the fire nation so the fact that zuko has like his bald haircut is a reason the the reason for that is that he did something dishonorable so he not only did he get burned by his father but he had to shave his head go on this wild goose chase and like i said he's 14 and he's got, like, all this pressure on his shoulders. And the same with Aang. I like how they juxtapose these two stories. And when the episode ends, you really come through. You feel for both of these characters in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, I think that this is a, a good episode. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have all of the, you know, fun, silly moments that Avatar episodes do. I think that holds it back a little bit from being, like, an elite episode. But mm-hmm. it definitely is a good one. Yeah, Lots I agree with you. There. It doesn't have the funny moments and it doesn't have a lot of like action besides for them just like trying to get out of the storm. Like there's no like iconic fight in this episode as well. So that kind of holds it back for me a little bit. But overall, I did enjoy this episode. Yeah. Do you want to quickly rank them since we've talked so much about our, our recaps of the episode? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I'll cool. give I'll give this a 3.5 cabbages out of four. Okay. I, I think it really set the stage for a lot of things to come. I would have given it a higher score, honestly, if it, cause I very much enjoyed this episode, but I just think the lack of like great comedy, the no fights, it's like, that's why I gave it a 3.5, but overall, great episode. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a pretty fair ranking. I'm a little bit lower on it. I'm giving it a 3.3. And our listeners are even lower still at a 3.12. I think what holds this episode back for me a little bit uh, is that, yeah, we we really don't get many of the like uh, jokes or the like respite from the seriousness. Uh, I feel like we could have maybe used one more scene just showing like the daily life of Aang. I'm so interested in that Southern Air Temple and like what Aang's life was before all of this happened. I kind of want a little bit more of that. 
And then I feel like we don't have like uh, what I'm used to in Avatar, which is like a bunch of funny gags. Momo essentially has no funny moments in this episode. So that holds it back for me. Yeah, this episode is just very different from any other episode we've seen, both in terms of the narrative and the writing. And so mm-hmm. It's like, so just a stark contrast for, contrast from what we're used to, essentially. But yeah. overall, still a great episode. Yep, I agree. Uh, that'll leave this episode at a 3.31 for our official Ang in There score. Uh, as a reminder, you can always write in your uh, Ang in There score to Avatar at Postio Recaps or tweet at us at Postio Recaps and we'll include your score as part of the listener average. Uh, no, no fights this episode, Zach. Uh, we haven't yeah. had a fight in two episodes, actually. Yeah, I mean, I guess the writers were just tired of, and or the animators might have been tired of animating fights at least for this two week period. Because you're yeah. right, no fight, no fights to rank. Yeah, next week uh, when we're looking at the blue spirit, I think we do get a fight, and it's kind of an interesting one, uh, if I remember correctly. So I'm excited to get back into our fight rankings because uh, so far we're just at the episode rankings. No fight, unless you want to count the the fight where Ang blasts through some water. Uh, that would <laughs> yeah. be a zero for me. Ang versus the storm. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a zero out of four for me. Um, <laughs> I'll give it a point five. Just okay. To, just <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but we'll con- con- we'll continue here. So, did you want to jump? St- oh no, we're going to go to our feedback. Actually, I always yeah. like, for some reason I skip over the feedback to go into our quartet segment every time. I forget. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, we got feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I do love whenever people write in, so we definitely want to make sure we get to that feedback. Uh, yep. Oh, as always, you can uh, tweet at us or. Uh, Email us at avataripostshowrecaps.com with your feedback. Uh, lots of fun talking about this episode. Um, yep. Zach, do you want to uh, read off Sarah's question? Do you have it yeah, there? Yeah, I do. I have Sarah's question open right here. So she wrote this in the question thread. It's kind of worded oddly, so I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. But basically, Sarah was like, do you have any past mistakes that you think you could have had an epiphany about in a life-threatening storm. So do you have any regrets like Aang had in this episode that you wish you could change, you could have changed and go back in time to fix? Yeah. So Sarah said in her question, let's get deep. Uh, and I am, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure this is uh, as deep as she was wanting, but I think my biggest regret is not going to uh, watch the Cubs play the world series in 2016 in game seven. And I think this is particularly apt uh, because if there are any baseball fans out there, I think that one of the most iconic moments of uh, game seven of that world series was a 17 minute rain delay uh, in the 10th inning. When the score was tied, the game was tied and the Cubs come, uh, come out of the rain delay winning. And I think that it was that storm that led them to the victory. So I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, you know, that's my biggest regret. It's tied to a storm moment. So I feel like it's apt on this episode. Not as serious, you know, it's nothing uh, too bad, but that's, yeah. that's what I've got. What about yeah, you, Zach? I was, I was struggling with this, honestly, because we're not one, we're not known to get very deep on this podcast. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob. So I was kind of racking my brain for an exact moment. 
And honestly, I could not really come up with one. You know what I regret? I genuinely, and this you're going to laugh, but I genuinely regret wasting so many nights just having nightmares as a child. Like, I kind of <laughs> wish I could have got over my fear of dogs earlier. The reason is because, like, from grade one to grade three, I literally <laughs> would just dream about, not, not even wish, but just like every, I'd always have nightmares, like every single night. And I just wish, like, I could have just, like, got over my fear. Why was I scared of dogs? Why? It's the least terrifying dog ever. Wow. So that's one of my big regrets. Like, honestly. Well, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I don't know how you even would get over your fear of dogs, but this I, seems I, I like a... Ex- I can explain that. So, I'll just do it again. Yeah, go ahead. We're already an hour minute, an hour and 20 minutes into this anyway. So, I was in the, I was in like the sixth grade. I still didn't like dogs, but I wasn't like deathly afraid of them. And then I was walking to a convenience store and this old man's dog started following me. And he was like, okay, you have to be tough with the dog. And I was like, dog, stay back. Like, I basically <laughs> yelled at this dog's face, which is funny because it's like his owner told me I could and the dog just like looked at me for it was a big dog it just looked at me for a second and turned around and then from that day forward I was like okay if you assert dominance over any dog which I've I've, I've actually been told this by like uh, I know a girl who works like with dogs and she was like yeah it makes sense if you just assert dominance over them then it's fine so from that point forward I was not scared of dogs anymore so there you All go right. Well, uh, I'm sorry that you didn't conquer your fear earlier, but yeah. uh, I'm glad that you're not scared anymore. Would you ever yeah. get a dog, Zach, or is it still too touchy of a subject? No, I know I'd, I'd get a dog. Honestly, it's just tough because I'm more of a dog person than a cat person now. To be honest, I don't, okay. I don't know. A yeah, lot of people too. have a hot take with that stuff, or like everybody dies on a hill, so like either yeah. they're a dog person or a cat person. I like cats, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind having a dog. I just can't really afford one. I'm kind of just. Yeah. Yeah, they seem like a big responsibility and, you know, they're around for a long time. So, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. No, anyway. I think, I think, yeah, we can, we can move on to yeah. our feedback here. We've got yeah. many tangents this episode. My exactly. Apologies. Uh, yeah. So Lydia wrote in and she said, uh, let's talk about toy distribution at the air temple. Where do they store thousands of toys? At what age do they select their toys? And how do they have the stamina to select from thousands of toys? Thousands of toys seems like overkill. So, Zach, I know that you read a little bit more about this. But, yeah, these logistics make sense to ask for. Uh, you know, I do not understand why you would need thousands of toys um, in order to find the Avatar. Yeah, it, it's odd. I think... I don't like. I don't know. But if you're a child and you walk into a room with thousands of toys, you would just pick four at random, anyways. So I, I don't think the ch- the children needed like an insane amount of stamina to be able to pick from these toys. <laughs> it's not like they're parsing through. Like if I'm a kid and I walked in, I would just grab four random toys. To be yeah. honest, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I gotta say, like uh, just the logistics of having a room full of like a ton of toys for the next avatar is a lot, and then you have to take the toys. From the air nomads to the water nations next time in case uh, in case they need to find the avatar that way as well. Yeah, do they just have like the same four toys, but in different parts of the world? Because I don't understand how that works. Because then Lydia will go into the um, toy distribution logistics <laughs> later in her question. Because she says, with Christmas season around the corner, she can't help comparing the Air Temple and the North Pole. And if airbenders are responsible for toy production in their universe... <laughs> It totally tracks with their fun, carefree vibe, and they could fly to deliver the toys. So, do you think that the airbenders function as like Santa Claus and his reindeer in this universe? Yeah, I think that this was a good point that she made. She said, uh, you heard it here first. This is the Santa Claus origin story we never knew we needed. Totally true. 
you know, we have the bison, uh, which can fly the uh, airbenders around. There are a bunch of people that are really good at, uh, I'm sure, like, you know, airbending and they could sneak into chimneys and such. Yeah, it I seems think Jin, like- Jinju would be really good at that. <laughs> that's his exactly. job. So he's already covered in dust and crap. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. That's why That's why he's covered in dust. Is oh, because yeah, he's, he's been crawling through these chimneys delivering toys. Exactly. Okay, we came up with the origin story for Jinju. Perfect. Yeah, so it seems like uh, for sure that the airbenders are definitely the Santa Claus of this uh, universe. It seems like the the airbenders should be as well. Like you would not want the firebender in charge of Christmas gifts. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And I, I like if Christmas existed in the Avatar universe, I would 100% co-sign Lydia's headcanon here where they would be the ones delivering the toys. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a, a funny thing she pointed out. Uh, yeah, I think, Zach, that is all the listener feedback we have for this week. Uh, as always, you can write in at avatar at postyourrecaps.com. I'll say it so many times that you can't help but think about it. You'll be having nightmares where you're chased by dogs that are shouting this at you. <laughs> yeah, and you can also follow us. Uh, you can give us a five-star review, postyourrecaps.com slash ATLA. Exactly. I'm sure that's what Momo was telling Sokka to do. That was yeah. uh, so cruel or so crude to say. Yeah, he was saying that like in between all his like F-bombs and cuss words, exactly. he was just saying, post your recaps.com slash ATLA. Yeah, saying it that fast. Saying it that fast too. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So oh, we, man. Can, we can get into our T-Quartet segment here. So yeah. we're going to do the four corners of states. Now, between you and me, I'm Canadian. I'm not the biggest expert on um american states especially not new mexico is a state that i know very little about so i'll let you lead this segment jacob where yeah. what state did you want to start with first well i was actually interested uh as you as a canadian how much you knew about each state so maybe as i say what i think each state is you can maybe tell me uh if you know any fun facts about the state uh, sure, or like sure. what you yeah. think about them yeah because okay, i I'll, I'll go with that cool uh, yeah, so this was a great suggestion by Earthbender Aaron, who wrote in and said we should do the four corner states. Love the idea. So thanks for writing that in, Aaron. Um, yeah, so I think the easiest one to start with is Colorado. I think Colorado is the airbending state. Uh, they're up high in the mountains. Yep. Um, they get high with, uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with marijuana. Like, yep. With legal high, drugs. They get yep. high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so I think that that makes them the airbenders. Uh, you know, like uh, lots of great skiing in that state. I feel like I feel like that uh, makes them the airbender with all the nature. Uh, what do you know about Colorado, Zach? Yeah. Well, I live in British Columbia. We're pretty close to the Rockies too. I know they legalize weed. I think they also legalized shrooms recently, or okay. like they're go they're trying to decriminalize a lot of drugs. Interesting. And uh, what else do I know? I know their capital is Denver. They're high altitude because I know like whenever a team a, a team on the road plays in Denver, they always have to deal with the altitude. And Denver yeah. sports teams almost always usually have good records because they're actually acclimated to the Denver climate. Because yeah. Denver's at a lot higher elevation than almost every other city in America. Uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, those are all definitely, uh, things I think about as well. Yeah. Besides that, um, no, I kind of just had the same thing as you. I also had Denver as my airbender and I think this was a lock. They're a very carefree yeah. spirited state. Similar. It's like almost all the states in like the Pacific Northwest in a way. Like it always also called like Oregon and Washington state. I'd have those as like airbendery states as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, cool. Yeah. So I think the next easiest one would be Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Arizona is a firebender. 
mainly just because of the extreme heat they have. Uh, like I know that like street signs will melt, uh, mailboxes, trash cans. There was like a news story how an airplane was trying to take off, but its uh, wheels melted to the tarmac. Damn, like, I can't imagine living in a climate that hot, because I think I live in the warmest part of Canada, or one of the warmer parts in Canada, but I don't know if I could live in, like, a 35 degrees Celsius, 40 degrees Celsius place where stuff's melting on the streets. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a hot place for sure. I feel like uh, it, it probably is not the most fun place to live where, like, plastic starts melting because it's too hot, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I think that that makes him the firebender. What did you know about Arizona? Yeah, I mean, I know it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it might be the home state of Tyson Apostle, Survivor winner. Yeah. I think he uh, lives in Arizona. It's where he's living now, yeah? Yeah, um, what else do I know about Arizona? Not too much, to be honest. I know Phoenix, of course, just basically all my knowledge of American states is relative to, like, sports and college sports. Like, I'm pretty sure I know the capital of almost every state in America just due to, like, watching yeah, sports, yeah. essentially. <laughs> I mean, like, a lot of sports fans can relate in that regard. Besides that, I don't know too much about Arizona. What I know Tucson. I know they have – it's a very touristy destination because – and mm-hmm. I don't know how else to word this, but I know, like, some rich white people – in my area, like at my work and friends of mine too. And a lot of them will go on vacation of Ari- into Arizona. So I know it's like a hot spot for vacations yeah. and resorts and stuff like that. Well, it's a really like- hot spot some, most of the year. <laughs> oh, exactly. But are, are Arizona, are they a people that are like, what would you call them? Arizonians? Are they like very aggressive? Like that's the thing. Do their people have traits like that? Uh, I don't know if they're like, if they're known for being super aggressive. I feel like that's more like, uh, like Texas would probably be the, the firebender type. Or like New York, I feel like in that regard. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because the thing is, like, Arizona is hot, but are the people hot in that regard? Are hot headed in a way? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't think that that region is necessarily known for uh you know having the temper whereas i feel like you know people from texas are like proud texans like uh you know they're like they think texas is like the the greatest thing and then i think people from new york like similarly like have some uh hot-headedness but i'm not really sure that arizona does i don't know being from texas myself i i don't have like a very hot-headed perspective of people from arizona yeah, that's fair. And I'll, yeah, so I'll just I'll agree with you. They're firebenders. And what state yep. did you want to go with next? Uh, I think these two are a bit hard, actually, uh, between the two. I have New Mexico as an earthbending uh, state. It seems like, um, you know, they're a bit more stable. Uh, I think that, you know, with the Utah, I think what I know about them is uh, Salt Lake City and a lot of Mormons. Um, yes, that's what I'm, that's pretty much the extent <laughs> of all my Utah knowledge as well. Yeah. When I think about, uh, New Mexico, I think about like the Carlsbad Caverns, the White Sand National Park, a bunch of different like cool earth features. I feel like they have like a ton of different types of, uh, like climates and, uh, different like landmarks as well. And I think like the varied, uh, the varied plants that live there, uh, make it an earth earth place for me as well as hatch green chilies that's actually probably my favorite thing from new mexico uh is the is the hatch green chilies that come from there so What's i have them as an earthbender is that a pepper the hatch green chili yeah so uh it's like from uh hatch uh yeah it's like from a place in new mexico um, okay yeah and they're like really good uh there's like a festival every year where they would like bring them to the grocery store that was near me 
and my mom would go crazy for them. She would like freeze bags and bags of these things. So we would have them all year. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're only grown in the Hatch Valley in New Mexico. And she's obsessed with these things. They are pretty good, but uh, my mom like loves these. She would like roast them all throughout the all throughout the year. Yeah, when I was younger, for the longest time, I didn't even realize Albuquerque was in New Mexico because that's such a like the, the name Albuquerque does not sound like Spanish at all. So I found mm. that very odd when that came to that realization. But besides that, so you have them as an earthbender because of all these natural resources and sites they have. And I think I agree with that logic, but I don't know if I'd have um, Utah as my waterbender, though. I don't know if I'd have them waterbender here. What do you think? Like. Yeah, so I think uh, what I, when I think about Utah, I'm thinking about Salt Lake City primarily. Um, so I think that, like, I know they have the Colorado River that runs through it and Salt Lake City. And that being, like, that and Mormons are pretty much the only things I can tell you about Utah. So the fact that both of those were water meant that it kind of had to default for me uh, to the waterbender. <laughs> not a okay. great reason, but no, this is not what the we're best left reason. With. Maybe a resident Utah um, citizen can tell us what they think Utah is. I always struggle. You know what I struggle with the most? Names of like the people from states. Cause I just called, I called Arizona people Arizonians. And I don't, I don't know if that's the correct term for them. That's what I struggle with the most when it comes to these states. Yeah. It is hard to know what to call these people. Uh, for sure. Like, unless you're like part of that state, like I know, like a, someone from Texas is like a Texan or something. Yeah. But, like, well, yeah, I know. I know that definitely, but sure. But like, if you're not from that state, it's like, I don't really know what to call it myself. I think yeah, it's what do you call a, a person from Utah, Mormon. A like, U- I don't know. <laughs> Mormon. A Utah. <laughs> Utah. Interest. I think, wow. I think that's what it is. I don't no, know. You, you uh, might be right. I have no idea. Well, yeah. we're really in the weeds of this. Podcast. <laughs> I feel like, Hey, you know what? This is all me. I feel like I, this episode in particular, I led you on so many tangents. So my Perfect. apologies. I hope people enjoyed this. We were yeah. all over the place this episode. But I think like Avatar, we had a good mix of serious talk in this episode. We had some comedic stuff. We talked about our recurring nightmares. So overall, exactly. we're all over the spectrum here. Yeah. And I think next week for our T Quartet, we'll do uh, iCarly 4. So we'll have uh, Carly, Freddy, Sam, and Gibby as the fourth. Um, so thanks for Felipe for writing in that suggestion. Yeah, we'll do that. I like iCarly. Underrated show for my childhood. Totally agree. So, yeah, we'll jump into it. Another Nickelodeon show as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think that's all that we have for you. Uh, if you want to reach us, you can always reach out to us, avatar at postshowrecaps.com, at postshowrecaps, or you can tweet at me, at JK Redmond. Happy to talk about any of your avatar takes. We also are having lots of fun in the Postshow Recaps patron discord. Uh, lots of fun conversations going on there. Uh, Zach, I, I heard that you even played some uh, games with some of the patrons. Yeah, the Poster Recast patron Discord's popping. It's very active. And if you want to support just not even me and Jacob, like this is not even an advertisement for us, but just the work that Josh, Jessica Lease, Mike Bloom, Kevin Mahadeo, Jessica Sterling, that all these people are doing... Latonya Starks, like everybody on the post show recaps, they just network. They do such a great job with all the content they put out. So if you want to support them, think about becoming a patron of the whole network at postshowrecaps.com slash Patreon. Yeah. And Zach, where can people find you? People can find me as always at Zach Muhammad 32 on Twitter. What about yourself, Jacob? At JK Redman. That's all we have for you this week. See you next time. See you next time. Peace out and hang in there. <laughs>